Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitsis. I'm here with Carrie Eleveld, and today we're going to be talking about polling. Our guest, our guest later on will be Drew Linzer of Civics, civics with a Q.com. And we're going to talk about um, what he sees as the key issues driving these last few weeks of this election cycle. And uh, speaking about polling, Carrie, you, well, first of all, Carrie, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm alive, man. It's a, it is a nail biter. I'm not going to lie. It's a nail biter. So I'm, I'm you know, I, but I'm, I'm hanging in. I'm hanging in. Yeah. You know, you say nail biter, and that's actually sort of a perfect, intro, you know, lead in to this conversation because you wrote a post that I thought was very, very salient to sort of the mood in in the progressive political world right now, right? Where where we get a poll that looks great for us, and we're like, ah, that's an outlier, and then we get a poll that looks not so great for Democrats, and the whole place just like absolutely loses its mind, and it collapses. <laughs> Twitter collapses, and we're doomed, doomed. Yes. You wrote a piece that is, is begging for perspective. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, so, you know, I just think, look, I just want to say at the outset, I think this whole election at this point is damn close. And I don't think one poll, whether it's good or bad for us, is the be all end all of the prediction game and whether or not like voters have the final say, you know, like they always say it's so cliche. You know, but but voting's the only poll that matters, right? But I just want everybody at this point to like I'm I, I I'm not going to tell you not to look at polls because I wake up every morning and look at polls and like go through you know <laughs> at least like six seven eight nine polls just trying to figure out like where is it heading you know that type of thing. So I'm not going to tell you to do that because I would be a complete hypocrite. But. But I just want everybody to like take a deep breath about polling at this point. Like we were, we are in this incredibly wonky cycle. And what we had, you know, just to, just, this is a great example of it. So in Iowa over the weekend, we had this poll from, you know, Ann Seltzer. It's the Des Moines Register and Ann Seltzer, who's kind of considered like a polling guru, um, in not just in Iowa, but like everywhere, but also in Iowa, she's just truly got her finger on the pulse. And, you know, whenever she tends to issue something, people pay attention. She is the most, the most accurate poster like multiple cycles in a row. Like she has yes. not missed in a long time. Yes. Not a lot of posters so she, can say that. Not a lot of pollster can say that. So, and she will, she'll go out on a limb and put out polls that don't sync with everybody else. Right. So, so for instance, in 2020, she put out a poll just a few days before the 2020 election that showed, um, you know, Senator Joni Ernst, the Republican incumbent, was four points up over the Democratic rival and showed that um, I think uh, Trump was up maybe seven or eight points in the um, in, in the state of Iowa. Right. All of the other pollsters had Iowa much closer, both in the Senate race and in the um, and had. And, and like the New York Times Siena poll, I actually took a look at their Iowa battleground poll. They had the Democrat in the Senate race up 
um, Teresa Greenfield three points over Joni Ernst, um, or was it two points? And then also had Biden um, over Trump in the state by three points. Okay, so Ann Seltzer got that one right. It was it it ended up Trump she was she was the outlier. She yeah. was the outlier. She was the outlier. She was definitely against conventionalism at the time, and she nailed it. She, you know, it was a, Trump took it by about eight points, and um, I think Joni Ernst ended up winning by about six points. So she was exactly right, basically. Okay, so she over the weekend she issued this poll that once again was against conventional wisdom, that had the Democrat there, Admiral, uh, former U.S. Navy Admiral Mike Franken, I think, he, and I'm just not that familiar with him, to be totally honest. Um, he was uh, within three points of seven-term incumbent Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, who's like, I think, 89, at, no, 79 at this point. Is that 89? 89. <laughs> he's old. I think he's, I think he's 89 and not 79. I think he's old. It was... It was like 46, 43. Give me an O. And then sorry. the okay, libertarian sorry. candidates. He's just been around for longer than time. Okay. So I'm not harping on the fact as much as he's old. It's just he's been around forever is the is the point of that. So anyway, he should, you know, like everybody thinks an incumbent like that should be sailing to reelection. And that's basically what all the polls have been saying. And Ann Seltzer comes in and says, I don't know. He's only got he's only three points up over this uh, Democratic rival. And um, he's got a lot of weak points in his polling. And, you know, and people are and and so everybody's like, people are looking at that and going, whoa, this is crazy. Ann Seltzer is picking up something here that no one else is picking up in their polls. Well, the, you know, that was mostly progressives and Democrats who were shooting that around. And then and then no, none of the like <laughs> I, I probably was unfair to Nathaniel Rakich. Is that his name? Um, I, he, he put out, he put out a poll, he put out a, he, he quoted the poll and said, I know there's a lot of mythology around Ann Seltzer, but this is just one poll. In other words, kind of dismissing it, you know, kind of like dismissing it. So, so then, then on Monday, the New York Times Siena poll puts out a national poll and they find the, the generic congressional ballot, right? This is just this question where they ask, if you were to vote right now, would you vote for a Democrat or vote for a Republican without names attached? And, in the House. Um, in the House, sorry. And they found that Republicans had a three-point advantage among likely voters in that poll. And everybody was like, we knew it. The, the media narrative in D.C. has been that, you know, the the momentum is swinging back towards Republicans and the New York Times Siena poll verifies that. And, you know, it's considered a very good pollster, too, just to be clear, but not at all picking up sort of the same vibe that that Seltzer is. But the media was all over that and they were retweeting the fact, the idea, the notion. I find this preposterous, I have to say that there was a 30 point, 32 point swing in independent women between last month's Siena <laughs> poll and this month's Siena poll. That there were, that, that women, women, independent women actually favored, you know, so they had, it's unbelievable, had favored Democrats by like 15 or 16 points last month. And then now they were favoring Republicans a month later by like 15 or 16 points. I mean, it is crazy. They also, in terms of women, had women just in general overall at 47% support Democrats, 47% support Republicans. Um, I, I just don't believe that. 
I don't believe that because. But, but the point, the point, Carrie, isn't like to nitpick that poll. No, the, I'm the nitpicking is, that poll. I want to nitpick the poll. No, 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 that's not nitpick the poll. The point is right. no one poll is a terminative. And yes. I think I actually think it's a good time to bring in our guest to okay. talk about what Fair. how to consume polling and how to evaluate it now that we're so close to the election. So what do you think? Bring in Drew? Yeah, let's let's bring in Drew. All right, let's do it. Carrie, so today's guest is our very own Drew Linzer. He's in charge of civics, which is our polling division. So we've been talking about all this polling, what it means, maybe how it relates to the special elections, yes or no. But let's talk to somebody who really knows polling inside out. So Drew Linzer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. So Drew, um, we have a new Civic Daily Coast poll out, uh, out today, out Wednesday. So I, I took a look at it, and one thing that I found really interesting, and I actually found this very atypical of a typical midterm election, is that voter intensity between Republicans and Democrats is literally exactly the same. It's at, I think, 92% say that they're either going to vote or they already voted. What is your take on those numbers? Around this time of year, in any election, we ask in our surveys, are you planning to vote? Uh, and if so, how certain are you to vote? And it's a good measure of interest in the election and intensity. And normally what we find is that people who identify as partisans, so either Democrats or Republicans, are going to be more in intensely interested in, and more likely to say that they're planning to vote than people who identify themselves as independents. But the other thing we're looking for is a neat differential between Democrats and Republicans, any clue that turnout might be stronger among Democrats or Republicans. And what we've been finding in our surveys is not much differential at all. If anything, a slight advantage in enthusiasm towards uh, Republican voters. So it's um, it's interesting that the surveys are showing this because it's a, it's a little bit different than some of the other data points we've been seeing around uh, voter registration or perhaps some of these special election results. But that is what is coming out in um, in our surveys. I didn't get a chance to see this. And I just want to know, did you give an opportunity for independents to answer too? Is there any delineation between Republicans, Democrats, and independents? Yeah, the intensity is, is higher among Democrats and Republicans and a bit lower among independents. But that is, that is, I mean, this is one of those things where the fact that there's no difference is actually the news, because in a typical midterm election, what you see is you have the party in power in the White House has has decreased intensity. Right. And we've talked about this on the show multiple times. It's because it's a referendum on the president and the president can't really deliver on all the promises made. And the opposition just fired up. Right. Because obviously being in the minority, being disenfranchised is incredibly motivating. We saw this in 2010 when uh, Democrats got blown out of the water in uh, Obama's first midterm. We saw this in 2018 and in Donald Trump's first midterm where, where Republicans got blown out of the water. You don't think it's notable that we don't see a difference? This is, this is atypical. Well, I think what's notable is just how high interest in this election is across the board. And so there were huge surges in interest in voting uh, when Donald Trump was the president. And it was entirely possible that with him out of office, things would, in a sense, go back to normal. But interest in voting has remained extremely high. And um, I, th I think we may very well be in store for another very, very high turnout 
election, uh, in which case some of those partisan advantages that you're describing that you're referring to could very well go away. And, and just I just want to I just want to be clear, though, that like for a while, you know, the whole idea was that high turnout definitely was a good year for Democrats. Right. And the, what the what the 2020 presidential proved is that high turnout even though you know we did well at the federal level, we ha- you know and we we lost congressional seats. Our majority you know got shaved down, um, and we didn't do as well as we'd hoped at the state level. So it's like it's ha- I mean we're definitely in a better situation to Marcos's point than we were at the outset of the year when in the spring the voter intensity enthusiasm all that all those questions definitely skewed towards Republicans. Um, but but a high turnout election also doesn't automatically mean Democrats win, which for a while was kind of the assumption. And given the way Republicans act, always trying to restrict access and decrease ballot boxes and, you know, all that stuff, you'd think that they they would believe that high turnout's bad for them. But that hasn't necessarily proven to be the case. This This sort of thing, though, I should say, is just extraordinarily difficult to measure with surveys. We can ask people how how strongly they're planning to vote or how excited they are uh, about voting. And because it's socially desirable to say that you're going to be a voter, people generally say that they're going to vote or they're, they're you know, feeling positive about turning out. Um, we do our best with the surveys. We can only be one data point to add to the other things that people are observing about what's happening with early voting and, and registration, but it's really hard. It's really hard to say. And uh, win. I think it's going to win. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, that's easy to say. <laughs> oh, it's easy. All right. Oh, okay. All right. That's Cancel, easy. Cancel Got the it. election. Okay. We don't even Here, need right. to spend here's, the money. Here's, here's, here's Drew's big prediction. Oh, no. No. Uh, Drew, Drew, I'm going to bail you out here. I'm going to bail you out. Thank you. We're going to come back to that question in the end, I think. I don't know if we can can avoid it. Um, But you've been really closely tracking, obviously, Joe Biden's numbers. They were, in civics, actually showed some of the worst numbers for Joe Biden amongst in the polling community. And and, uh, so, ironically, this, this polling operation... Uh, run by, owned by Daily Coast, was very, very popularly cited by right-wing outlets to show just how unpopular Biden's numbers were. They've been on the uptick, though. And mm-hmm. so what's your, one, it's, sort of what's your take on what's driving that uptick? Is it just people coming home closer to the election? Uh, and two, um, is it at a place, or Biden's numbers at a place that it might minimize the damage his popularity might do to Democrats? And does it even matter with Donald Trump, with uh, the Supreme Court? Does Joe Biden even matter this this uh, this November? Yeah, so we at Civics, we do a daily survey and track attitudes towards President Biden's job approval rating. And for a little while now, it's been plateaued in our polling at right around 40%, which is not good, but it is better than it had been earlier in the year. And um, and you're right that the way we ask the question, the way we measure job approval is slightly different than how other firms do it. And that's what's accounted for uh, why our approval number is, is slightly lower than other firms. Um, what we had observed was that there are a lot of Democrats and independents, especially earlier in the year, who who were just lukewarm enough about President Biden that they didn't want to say they disapproved of him, 
But they didn't want to say they approved of him either. So they they placed themselves into this middle category we offer them, which is, well, I neither approve nor disapprove. And so as that share of, of kind of lukewarm uh, Democrats and left-leaning independents went up, uh, what that meant for the job approval number was that it went down. So those folks have now largely come back into the approve camp, but the approval number is still stuck at around 40. And it's not a good number. It's it's better than it had been. But for anybody who's who's interested in forecasting elections, historically, the lower the approval rating of the incumbent party, the worse the candidates from that party do in the elections. And it's when you combine that with the historical pattern where the president's party generally does poorly in midterm elections, I don't consider that a very encouraging sign. I think that's a worrisome sign for Democrats. What Drew's talking about here is we give them this unsure, neither, you know, neither support right. or, or disapprove or approve or disapprove. So that does that sit at like 7% right now or something like that, Drew? Is that about right? Or I, I can't remember. I just know that if you if you took those and added and like split them between approve and disapprove, right. he would he would probably end up somewhere right around, you know, if you made people choose is what I'm saying. Right. That's right. He would probably end up right around 43 percent or something like that if you split those in half. Nine percent. It's nine right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, so if you did that, let's just say we cut that in half and gave him four. Oh, it would be higher. It would, it, it would, would be, yeah. those people would disproportionately break towards approval because uh, if you're a Republican, you're, you're certain that you disapprove. It's so it's really just Democrats and, and independents who are falling in this neither category. So I think probably 53 disapprove is about right. And 40 and 40 it's, what? It's probably yeah. If you were going to split them up, it would it would maybe go to I don't know forty forty six. Say it forty six percent. Force people yes. to answer. No, I just love it. <laughs> That's not what the survey says. I knew I could. I knew I could drag you into it. It's he's getting up towards oh, fifty. Boy. I knew Drew. Drew. I knew I could drag you into no. this. Oh yes. Putty in my hands. Oh, no, you know what? Uh, Joe Biden's Joe Biden's nowhere near fifty. But you know who is 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 Democrats in the generic congressional ballot. It is 49, 46. That's I, right. That, the, how does that square with Joe Biden's numbers? Right. Well, it's two different. It's two different things. Uh, Joe Biden, because he's the president gets the credit and the blame for whatever people are feeling in this country and uh, and what they're feeling is some economic pain and you know there's, there's a lot going on food prices um, and so that's that's coming out in President Biden's job approval rating but th- there's this other question of who who do people say they'll vote for in the elections for the House of Representatives and we asked this question that we call the generic ballot because we just say would you vote for the Democratic candidate or the Republican candidate. And that's another question that we've been tracking for a long time. And currently among likely voters, our polling indicates that the Democratic candidates, the generic Democratic candidate is in the lead 49 to 46 for the generic Republican candidate. So a three-point lead in our polling. But that doesn't mean that automatically a majority first of all obviously it, it, it's not one-to-one right you can't just say okay we're going to get 49 percent of the seats they're going to get 46 right that's right um gerrymandering is a big part of that also um just uh i mean there's, there's other factors I, I don't think it's as important do you have a sense of where that needs to be 
for Democrats to say, oh, yeah, we have a we have a real good chance of holding the House? That's a, it's a really hard question because uh, once the districts get reapportioned and and once those votes are translated into seats, historically there are, there are these these biases in the in the election system where um, you know Democrats may have to do way better than fifty fifty to win a majority in the House or in some cases Republicans do, but in recent years it's it's been biased against the Democrats and Democrats have had to do much better in the generic ballot to come close to getting a majority in the House of Representatives. I'm concerned that three points, I mean, again, from the Democratic Party perspective, I'm concerned that three points is not going to be enough to push Democratic candidates across the threshold to get a majority of seats in the House. Where do you think it would happen? I mean, it may need to be five points, six points. The generic congressional ballot in the last election had a much larger spread than three points in the Democrats' favor. So... And we lost seats. I don't know. But it was a yeah, different so, map, too. Right. It it's a different, different map. map. Right. It's, the dynamics are always different. Candidates, you know, can potentially matter. So my, my take is, is yeah, we're running against historical headwinds in the economy. And we, let's talk about what, what the Daily Coast civics poll says about the economy. But yeah. um, plus three, I think, puts the we're in the game. This is not a typical midterm where you're like, okay, are we going to lose 20 seats? Or are we going to lose 50 seats? Which is where some of these midterms have been, this keeps us in the game. And it's going to be close, I think. And I, I actually think we're not even going to know who won for a couple of weeks. We may be sitting on California counting those Orange County seats to see who has a one or two seat majority in the House. That's yeah. That's where this thing, thing seems to be headed. Let's say that Republicans do win and they get some somewhere south of like 10 seats, right? They have a somewhere that like 10 seat majority or less. Let's just that's going to be a disaster for them. It's going to be a disaster for the country, too. But that's going to be a disaster for them. That is an ungovernable caucus. So if they if they end up with gaining the majority and have less than 10 seats, I mean, it is just going to be, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, making mincemeat of whoever the speaker is. And the, last time they couldn't even elect a speaker. Last time they were having trouble even electing a speaker. And then Paul Ryan swooped in and they all got behind him. But they, they were having trouble even the, the last time they had the majority, they were having trouble even getting the votes for a speaker. So, I mean, it, you know, it's going to be anyway, it's just not what we were promised. Yeah, it's going to be close. Drew, on the sort of civics poll, uh, Civics Daily Coast poll, which people can read at civicswithaq.com slash reports, you've asked a lot of questions about the economy. And Democrats have been running this election based on Dobbs and the abortion stuff, mostly. But the economy is there, right? It's a real issue and it's a real headwind, correct? It is. The economy is so important that we track attitudes towards the economy every day. And we've been doing this for, I don't know, seven years now. It's the economic evaluations that Americans are are giving us, you know, the way they see their personal finances, the direction of the economy, it's all bad. It's among the worst numbers that we've ever recorded. And so in this national survey that we did in conjunction with Daily Coast this past week, we asked folks, you know, thinking about the upcoming elections, what are the top three most important issues to you when voting? And, and we gave people the standard list of of, uh, of issues. By far, by far, the most mentioned item was the economy, jobs, and inflation, uh, with 58% of voters mentioning that in their top three. And that's 
that's across the board. So it's it's being said mostly among, uh, you know, at the highest rates among Republicans, 83% of Republican voters mentioned this, but so does 60% of independent voters and so does 38% of Democratic voters. So among Democrats, the top three uh, most frequently mentioned issues are the economy, fair elections and democracy, which is mentioned by 43% of Democrats. And then um, the one that's mentioned the most is abortion, 52% of Democrats say that abortion is one of their top three most important issues. So we we can't escape that issues around inflation and the economy are are just dominating this election. So what's interesting about that to me, Drew, is the fact that everybody's saying, well, the economy is mentioned as the top issue, right? So uh, in, in these other polls, right? So I'm I'm imagining that some Democrats are also saying that a top issue for them is the economy, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only issue they're voting on in the larger pool of people. That's absolutely correct. Um, and, and abortion is the only issue that's mentioned by over half of Democrats as something that, you know, is one of their top concerns going into this election. I mean, we got a sense that both Democrats and Republicans are fired up. I'm, I'm assuming near presidential level turnout for both those groups. So the question then becomes, what are independent voters who may actually end up being sort of the, the deciding factor this election? What are they concerned about? Number one among independents, 60% mentioned the economy, inflation and jobs. Uh, the second most mentioned is, interestingly enough, uh, fair elections and democracy. So all of this commentary around, oh, you know, talking about voting and, and democracy is such a theoretical idea. But no, in fact, people are really, really concerned about the state of democracy and, um, and will be voting in this election with that on their mind. So that's number two. Number three is, uh, I think, a function of the fact that you know half of independents are Republican-leaning. And so number three is immigration. And um, immigration is the second most widely cited issue among Republicans, and it's the third most among independents. So if we're looking down the list, independents, the economy, fair elections and democracy, immigration, independents are concerned about political, what they see as political gridlock, and then abortion rounds out their most most mentioned uh, issues, top five. So... We've all often talked about how independents really aren't really independent. Like you just sort of alluded to, no, they right. actually lean one way or the other. And so you have Tea Party Republicans or, or MAGA Republicans who are like, I hate Mitch McConnell. I'm not really a Republican. I'm an independent. But they're going to vote Republican. And then on the other side, you have like Bernie Sanders liberals who are like, oh, the Democratic Party sucks. But if they vote, they're going to mostly vote liberal. Do you have a sense when you look at those independent numbers, what that breakdown might actually look like? It's... It- Based on what I've seen, it's really pretty much 50-50. And um, we track this very carefully uh, because it has a, a ton of implications for how surveys are conducted, obviously. And it, it continues, that number continues to be pretty evenly divided. Uh, there's a lot of different people with a lot of different beliefs, as you say, that all call themselves independents. And um, and that's where a lot of the movement happens when, when aggregate numbers change. Uh, it's it's these folks who don't have strong party commitments. They're a little bit more open to changing their mind, uh, but it's this kind of less well defined group of people who who think all sorts of different things. So we um, at the beginning of the show 
Drew, Carrie and I were talking about people freaking out about one poll, right? You see yes. a good poll. Like there was this poll in Iowa that showed a very competitive Senate race by probably one of the best pollsters in the business, Seltzer. And people are like, oh, no, that doesn't no, that that doesn't mean anything. That's an outlier. But then you have another poll that says, oh, the Republicans are gaining on a congressional ballot. And it's like, you know, mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. How should people consume polls and keep the proper perspective as they try to sort of get a sense of where things currently are heading into the elections in a couple of weeks? Well, as a professional pollster, I, w- I would like to say, please do not freak out over any one poll. Do not overreact to any one Underline, highlight it, Please, please. At our firm, we do our absolute best to produce surveys that we believe are accurate. We put a lot of work into it. And so so do survey researchers at other firms and other news outlets. A lot of work goes into it. It is still a sample. It is still a... 500 people or a thousand people out of a population. It's very challenging to conduct surveys at all in the current environment. And, you know, it's very hard to predict who's going to vote. These election surveys should be taken with a grain of salt. They are a guide. They are one, each survey is one piece of evidence about how things might go. But there is some truth out there. And it, it is just a fact of probability that the surveys that are conducted are are close to that truth, we hope, if we're doing a good job, but they are not truth. So when you see a survey, please look at it in context of other surveys of the same race, perhaps other surveys conducted by the same pollster at a previous point in time. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of averaging surveys together to get a, a better sense of where an election really stands, but even then, that doesn't solve all the problems. So, you know, if you're if you're addicted to polls, and it's giving you anxiety attacks, I give you permission as a professional survey researcher to please take a deep breath and recognize that this is a very difficult work. Uh, it has it is subject to a lot of uncertainty, and although the survey researchers we do our best, we're not promising to be measuring everything with a laser like amount of precision. And we're certainly, any poll that's conducted in advance of an election is certainly not a forecast. It is it is our best measurement of a point in time. So please, please take a deep breath and, and look at the entirety of, of the survey work that, that is out there. Yeah. And it's worth saying that like anything can break at the last second that actually you oh, don't yes. pick up in the polls. Like, you know, everybody's like says, oh, 2016 was a horrible year in polling. Well, it's not clear that the polls were that off. You know, Comey, James Comey went out there with a letter <laughs> saying that Hillary Clinton had been under investigation um, and made that public, what, two, two weeks or less than two weeks before that election. So, you know, there are things that can happen that make something break at the last second that kind of interrupt whatever the polls were initially picking up. The other point I want to make, and I just would love to hear you talk about it a second, is is the difficulty in this environment, not just in surveying people, but there now, now a lot of pollsters are switching from registered voters to likely voters, right? Um, right. And, re- and, right. and some of them are putting out polls where you have both the registered voter result and the likely voter result. Can you just talk a little bit about the difference between that, those designations and, and how, how challenging that is? Yeah, and if you'll indulge me a little bit, I may get a little methodological here. Indulged. 
Okay. So when any survey organization, including ourselves, conducts a survey, what we are trying to do is interview a sample of the population that we care about, whether it's nationally or in some states, say a sample of folks in Georgia. We want to interview a sample of the population that is representative of the broader population, the broader state, say. Now, if we are interested in registered voters as the population, then what we want to do is interview a representative sample of registered voters. That's not easy to do, but we have a good sense from public lists of registered voters. Those are That's public information. You know, what the broad contours of registered voters look like in a state demographically. And we can work to get samples that look like the population. When we make the jump from registered voters to likely voters, it gets a lot harder and a lot of judgment has to enter into this on the part of the pollster because we don't know who's going to actually vote. If we're trying to say what's going to happen in an election and we believe that the population of people who actually vote is different demographically in some way from the population of people who are registered to vote, then we have to make a prediction, an estimate of what that difference is. How how is the population of likely voters going to be different than the population of registered voters? Is it going to be made up of a disproportionate number of old people? Is it going to be made up of a disproportionate number of Republicans or Democrats like we were discussing earlier? Are young people going to turn out? Yeah. That's right. And we don't have any way of knowing this for certain. So there are various things that pollsters do. We build models, we look at past vote history, and we try to predict who's going to actually vote as distinct from who's registered, who's able to vote. And we ask questions on the survey to screen out people who say, you know what, I'm not going to vote. Well, if you're not going to vote and we're interested in likely voters, then thanks for your time, but we don't need to keep interviewing you. So uh, any survey that says that is a likely voter survey as opposed to a registered voter survey means that the pollster has done two things. One is they've asked people in the survey, are you likely to vote? And only kept in the folks who say, yes, I'm, I'm going to vote. And then number two, any survey is is weighted after the fact so that if the survey happened to get a few too many men or a few too many women, for example, we can balance that out to make it look like the underlying population. So the other thing that survey researchers do for likely voter surveys is we wait to what we believe, what we estimate to be the demographic contours of likely voters in that election. But it is just an estimate and, and it can be wrong and different pollsters do it in different ways. But that's the main difference. Uh, likely voters are supposed to be polls of likely voters in a population, representative of a population of people who will actually vote. So there's some art involved. It's not all A science. lot. There is a lot of judgment that is involved. Um, and some, some pollsters like myself tend to be a bit agnostic about the nature of likely voters relative to registered voters. And so in the surveys we put out at Civics, there isn't going to be a huge difference between the results of likely voters and registered voters, just because we don't assume, we don't make very strong assumptions. Other pollsters do things differently, and you will see very large gaps sometimes between results among likely voters and, and their same results, the same pollsters' results among registered voters. Um, and it's all, it's all okay, but it reflects different assessments that the pollster has made. So we're almost out of time. So, uh, but I, I do have this question because it's related is, is we've seen difficulty in polling a lot of uh, Trump's rural nihilist voters. So you have this sort of hard to reach group and then you have 
per voter registration numbers, you have a mass number of under 25 year olds that are that are registering the vote. And I'm not sure how you reach those voters either. If my kids are in any indication, you'd have to use TikTok to reach that crowd. So how do you even begin to to figure out how to get those people, figure out how many are going to vote and then weigh to that? Like what's how's that even done? Well, it's a colossally difficult problem. It's just inescapably difficult. There is no big brain genius out there that has solved this problem. And in fact, if you have solved it for one election, probably that solution is not going to apply to the next one. So again, any poll that you see has science and it has judgment. And that is why, you know, you never know in any particular result how much how much of that result is uh, is the truth, how much of it is bad luck, and how much of it is bad judgment. And so I would just say that as a member of this industry and someone who, who believes in the value of polling and who knows a lot of other pollsters and a lot of other firms, I would just say, you know, I, I believe that our industry and, and pollsters as scientists are doing our best. There are a lot of forces out there that make the work difficult. I would I would think that the best you can do is is take every survey as what it is is it's it is a imperfect measure of a of a complica- complicated world. Um, interpret results in context of other surveys and, and other things that you uh, know, and uh, you know you will see what happens just like the rest of us. But a lot of pollsters even get lucky, right? I mean, it's not even a question oh, of bad sure. luck. It's you, you made a guess and it plan, panned out. And then so they think they're, they know what they're doing. And it might actually literally have been just a fluke of, of statistics and of, of life for that to happen. So we're, we're pretty much out of time. So Carrie, I'm going to carry, I'm going to give you a chance to ask that question again. When I, I gave Drew an out last time, but. What, which question? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Drew, Drew, <laughs> not too much pressure, but who's going to yes. win? Who's going to win? That's all we're... Lisa, we can actually, we can chop this up so that we put this in the front because we don't want anyone to like, you know, get out of the interview before they hear the the um, the the reality of what's going to happen, the outcome. Well, you're, you're going you're gonna to groan because I am going to weasel out of this by <laughs> citing a poll. Oh, no! Oh. So you don't have to ask me. I am one person. Uh, we just conducted a poll with Daily Coast where we asked America who they think is oh. going to win the election. God, you're going to put it back on the voters. So, Terrible. Yes. Yes, I am. I, I am going to put it back on the voters. We asked registered voters, which party do you think will win control of the House of Representatives in 2022? Uh, 52% are predicting that Republicans will win the House. 30% are predicting that Democrats will win the House. And uh, and an honest 18% say they are unsure. Drew Linzer. Drew Linzer is the head of civics, doc, civics, civics with a Q.com. You can see the, and you can read for yourself, the latest Daily Co. Civics poll at civics.com with civics with a Q slash reports. And actually, if you go to civics.com, you can actually see our tracking polls on Joe Biden and uh, um, certain issues like like marijuana legalization and abortion and uh, and. And the beautiful, the thing that um, we do at Civics, which is really freaking cool, which no other pollster does, is we actually do these tracking polls and we track almost daily. And so, yeah, you may not have the exact balance of how many 
you know, like Drew said, there's some science or an art involved in figuring out what a likely voter model looks like. But the trends are the trends. And you can see how people are reacting. And I was just talking to Drew earlier that that on our gun control question, usually there's a steep drop off after a, a gun massacre, a mass shooting, support for gun control goes up. And then it just almost really quickly drops off again. And for the first time after Uvalde, we're actually seeing support for gun control maintain at a higher level. So these are really interesting trends. You can get this at civics.com, civics with a Q. You can break down by demographics. You can see by age, by party, who supports Joe Biden, by state. I mean, this is really, really cool stuff. What's, uh, what Drew and his team have built is unbelievable. So, Drew, thank you so much for your work. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for explaining the polling situation. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. So, Kerry, uh, Drew was being very diplomatic, I think. But if you read between the lines, when he talks about the, the Congress, generic congressional ballot at 49-46 Democratic not being enough to overcome the, the dynamics of gerrymandering, partisan gerrymandering, and when he talks about Joe Biden's approval rating being at 40%, which historically impacts. I think he didn't want just to answer. Remember, he... Just remember, we got him up to 46% on that. Just remember. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to cringe to hear yeah, that. He's going to cringe. He's going to, it was like torture for him. That was like torture anyway. But these are numbers that historically impact um, results. And, and so in a typical year, this is what we've talked about time and time again. I think if you look at it from the perspective of polling alone, then yeah, maybe Democrats aren't headed for a wave blowout loss, but maybe they're headed towards a small loss where they barely lose control of one or both chambers. I still maintain, Kerry, I still maintain, based not on hopium, not on, on guesswork, <laughs> that this is not a typical midterm election. And, and we, oh, yeah. have, we have the, the special elections. Democrats have consistently outperformed uh, in special elections since the Dobbs decision, the one invalidating or overturning Roe v. Wade, the abortion decision, uh, they performed six points better than Joe Biden's numbers in 2020. And now somebody may argue, well, those are special elections. It's a smaller sample size. But we had special elections, Carrie. We talked about it in places like New York 19th, which is a rural district. This is the kind of district Demo Republicans need to win and should be winning easily, not losing, right. winning easily if they are to take control of the house. So yeah, the polling specifically might be scary for us. Again, not a blowout loss, but maybe a narrow loss. Real world, re real world results look far better than the polling. And then we have these questions. Who is turning out to vote? Is, is all these new young voters? No polling is picking them up. It's impossible to poll anybody under 25. Like I said, maybe if you pull them on TikTok, right? Because that's where, that's where my kids are hanging out. That's where young people are hanging out. So it, it is really an atypical election, and I don't, I don't envy pollsters trying to figure out, like, like we talked about, what is that art to right. really model what that looks like, and how do you even talk to those nihilistic Trump voters and, and those young liberal abortion rights motivated voters? I mean, it's, 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 it's I mean, I, I don't know how you even do it. There's, you know, there's two, there's two things I would say to that. One is um, the notion, you know, some, some people, some, you know, I, when I'm listening, so I'm listening, I always listen to a bunch of different podcasts, right? Just to see what everybody else has out there. Um, uh, 
the sense that a lot of strategists have, these are people who work on campaigns, right? And they're either Republicans who work on campaigns, Democrats. They, they say, oh, we think that abortion has peaked as an issue, right? But if you look at like registrations like Tom Bonnier's doing at, at Target Smart, you know, the data analyst firm, and they're, they're looking at registrations and who's registering to vote. He actually said he was on MSNBC and he actually said that, of course, right after the Dobbs ruling, female registration spiked, right? And then they sort of plateaued out, but they were still outpacing what they typically are in elections, right? So they were still higher than usual among women registering to vote. But then Lindsey Graham brought up his 15-week abortion ban and said that he, you know, he wanted, he he rolled it out and said, if Republicans take control of the Senate, we're going to, there will be a vote on this. He pledged there would be a vote on his national 15-week abortion ban. And, um, and Tom Bonnier said that, again, the registrations among women went up again. And I'm like, Thanks, Lindsay. You're great. Go ahead and steal that spotlight, sucker. Because, you know, I mean, that that is that was there's just nothing but it's just nothing but helpful for have uh, for us to have Republicans continuing to remind people that they want to ban abortion nationally at the national level. You know, some of them are trying to strike this balance at the state level and say, Oh, you know, I think this is a state issue and blah, blah, blah. I guarantee you they have wanted to ban abortions nationally for um, for years, for decades. And I guarantee that if they get the chance to do it, they will try. So at the national level, they're not going to leave it at the state level. Their, their base will demand it. Um, so that's one thing I would say. Um you know, uh, so so Bonnier's looking at these uh, registrations. They continue to be really high for women, and he's also looking at who's voting so far. Um, and he, you know, in some cases, they've looked at um, some of the mail-in ballots and who's who's been voting so far, and not just in Georgia. I mean, Georgia just had these crazy through the roof first day, um, which we should say. Well, I, I asked you and I had. Level. A, at the presidential level, right? President, they it, in Georgia, they had their first day of voting, and it was basically presidential level turnout, pretty much like what it was in the state on the first day of voting for 2020. And Marcos, you were saying that doesn't really tell us anything, um, which I think is worth a, po- a point worth making. It's yeah, yeah. That I mean, it's complicated. Let's just let's say it's complicated. One of the <laughs> things that's really encouraging about Georgia's first day voting is that it was much more black voters than in 2020 and 2018. That's a good sign. What we don't know is if black voters who were going to vote on election day suddenly decided, you know what, I'm not waiting in line. They're not even letting us have water in line. I'm just going to vote early. And, you know, Stacey Abrams and Warnock's GOTV campaigns are, are very efficiently getting um, getting normal black voters to turn out and vote. That doesn't tell us that there's going to be more black voters, right? That's that's the piece that we don't know. Is it people who vote late now voting early? What it does tell us, though, that's very encouraging, is that for every single Democratic voter that votes early, that GOTV operation does not have to go chasing after them to make sure they vote. They get struck from a right. list. They're done. They did their job. Now let's focus that GOTV on people who actually may not be reliable consistent voters. And so this is, it's a good thing. It doesn't tell us we're going to, we're going to win. We're doing better. We actually don't know what it does tell us is that the GOTV operation is actually being effective. 
It's doing its, its job right from the start. And they're going to have an easier job moving forward because they have to chase after less potential voters. Right, right. So I want to I want to get back to what Bonnier was saying. He, um, he was, you know, he was saying that um, there he's he, he this is this is a quote from him on MSNBC. He said, you know, the polls are asking people what issue they think is most important. And I think that's interesting. That's what Bonnier said. He said, but we're we are looking at the actions people are taking. And that's really compelling. And for a while, it was registering to vote. And we're seeing this huge gender gap among voters registering to vote um, around the country. And now it's voting. Um, and of the of the million Americans at that point, this is last week, who had already cast votes in the midterm, Bonnier noted that there's been a sizable gender gap in people requesting ballots. So in Georgia, for instance, now this is people requesting ballots. In Georgia, for instance, 60% of the people requesting ballots are women. And that's a bigger gender gap than they've had in previous elections, including 2020, when Democrats obviously did really well statewide. So um, so he's continuing to, you know, like strategists, right? Campaign strategists are saying, my gut feel is uh, that, you know, maybe this is peaked in it as, as an issue. I don't know what they're basing that on. I don't know if they're basing that on, you know, gr groups that they've seen, um, focus groups that they've seen or reports they're getting back from canvassers. I have no idea. Or if it's just a gut feel it's for them. they're all men and they don't <laughs> care about the issue. So it's clearly not important to them. I will say about that gender gap, again, we got to be very careful with that because Republicans have spent the last two years basically crapping on early vote, saying that it's fraud yeah. and men are more likely to be Republicans. So there's a very good chance that even men in places like Georgia who voted early in 2020 have now been convinced by Trump and, and company that that's a fraudulent way of voting and then they'll vote on election day. So again, we got to be very, very careful. Doesn't tell us a full picture. What it does tell us, though, it's, again, and this is important, that our GOTV operation is firing in all cylinders. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Early. And that's good. That still works in our favor for the yeah. re all the reasons that Marcos just mentioned, right? You know, yeah. the other thing I would say, it was interesting in that po in the polling that Drew was talking about was, is voters seeing democracy in peril? Right. And the New York Times had this really, um, I think, misleading headline today. I mean, you know, New York Times, I don't know what the hell they're doing half the time anymore. But anyway, the headline and this is based on the polling that they've recently done. Voters see democracy in peril, but saving it isn't a priority. And then they went through and they showed from their polling that they were suggesting that overall people aren't being dissuaded from voting uh, voting for election deniers, right? I'm not sure what the overall number was, but it was like basically saying, the question was kind of like, would you consider voting for someone who doesn't think the 2020 election was legitimate, even if they had the same views as you, okay? Now, and then it had, you know, yes, I would somewhat consider it, you know, I, it's concerning, it doesn't matter at all. It is concerning. And then I definitely wouldn't vote for that person. In other words, I wouldn't vote for election denier. And when you go through the breakdown of that, it was 70% of Democrats saying, I don't care if they agree with me. I'm not voting for them if they're an election denier. It was 60% of independents who said, I don't care if they agree with me. I'm not voting for an election denier. And then it was Republicans, 70% saying, yeah, I, if they agree with me, I don't care that they're an election denier because 
Republicans, by and large, don't believe the election was legitimate. So I don't know what the hell that headline is, but like, it doesn't make any sense to me. There are people who are prioritizing democracy. And in this poll, it was 60% of independents and 70% of Democrats who said, no freaking way. I don't care how many things they agree with me on. Like, I, I, I'm probably not going to, I'm either probably not going to vote for them or I'm definitely not going to vote for them. Yeah. And it was yeah. telling in Drew's numbers in that civics yeah. poll, daily, uh, civics daily coast poll that amongst independents, um, that democracy ranked as high as it did. So I think it, it hopefully bodes well. I mean, you know, guys, we're at the end of the show, and I just really want to reiterate what we've been what we've been saying these last several weeks is that that polling gives us basically it says we're in the game. We shouldn't be. It's a midterm election. We're in the game. We've seen some special election victories that we've won because people have worked their butts off to get Democrats across the line, and that's this is what we all have to do. We have to do our part to bring the Democrats home. A good ground game is worth three to four points. So even if you see, oh, we're behind a couple points in, in the polling, three to four points, that's what a good ground game will accomplish. And if you say, you know, Drew said what, Carrie? He said five to six points in a generic congressional ballot, and we're plus mm -hmm. three right now. The ground right. game gets us there. Right. The ground game gets us there. If we work and we get our people to turn out we can win this thing. We're not, there's not going to be a wave election. So it's going to be somebody's going to win narrowly. And it's going to be the party that works hardest, that cares the most. That's right. That's us, right. Has and to be us. Right. And just to be clear, like, we're not saying um, we're not saying that, like, Democrats aren't in good shape. Democrats are in way better shape than than anyone thought they would be at this point. And on top of that, like, if you look at the Senate races, um, whatever might happen in the House, we're still in far better position on the Senate races. Um, I, my feeling is, is that everything is closing, right? All the undecideds are going home to Democrats and Republicans. And so everything's getting a little tighter. But Democrats in the majority of, of the, um, you know, handful or, or half dozen key races that everybody thinks is going to decide control um, are, are, you know, very much in the hunt in and and ahead in most of most of those polls uh, in the polling. So, you know, we're like if our ground game is getting us another, you know, couple points, another two or three points, another three or four points, man, like that can really make the difference. Dailycoast.com backslash GOTV. Get out the vote. Dailycoast.com backslash GOTV. Find the organization. We, we, we don't do our own GOTV. We partner with cool people doing great stuff. Find somebody that's focused on a race you're interested in, a state you're interested in, or in your backyard. You can you can work with a campaign in you know wherever you live or close to where you live. So do something, and if you have a chance, vote early. That's that's vote the early. easiest thing you can do to help out GOTV operation. Let them strike you from that list. They can focus on people who might not vote. Also, I'm I'm increasingly convinced that young people are such a big key to this election. So if you're an elder and you have kids or grandkids who are old enough to vote, but they're on the younger side of things, call them. Make sure they go to vote. They must do it. Okay. So so don't and, and you know make yeah, and their friends. And if you're younger, if you're younger, host a, a party where you guys all do your ballots together. You know, everybody gets a mail-in ballot, hopefully, or whatever. And or you all go to the polls together, you vote, then you go out afterwards, whatever you gotta do, like do it, get a group of your friends together and do it. It's actually kind of fun. It can be kind of fun. So um 
Anyway, the uh, young vote. Dailycoast.com slash G-O-T-V. Please, please, please. We got to leave everything. We got to just work our butts off. It's the only way we're going to win this thing. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks, Carrie, for being a lovely, lovely, lovely uh, co-host. Thanks to Drew Linzer. He is in charge of civics. Civics with a Q.com. Go check it out. You can read reports. You can see polling. Uh, and you can break it down by, by demographics and states on, on all these great issues that we all care about, like marijuana and abortion and control of Congress and so on. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes, Walter, our producer, Kara, uh, Paul, and Dorothy, who do so much great stuff for the podcast behind the scenes. And thank you, the listener, for joining in and being part of this movement to rescue our democracy. This is not hyperbole. We really, really, really are on a precipice of disaster if we can't win this year. The flip side, if we win, we can do things like statehood for D.C., protect voting rights, eliminate partisan gerrymandering. It is night and day, literally. So thanks so much for everything that you're doing. Catch you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.